0: give more power to the people. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Janice Allen Jackson with another edition of Local Matters. This show is designed to make you a more informed voter and a more engaged citizen. Today my very special guest is Mr. Fred Russell. Fred and I have something extremely important in common and that is that we both served as Administrator for the Consolidated Augusta Richmond County Government. Uh, I think this is actually the second time I've had a former administrator here because Dayton Sharouse joined me for one of my early shows a couple of uh, months ago. If you want to go back to uh, my SoundCloud profile, SoundCloud slash Local Matters, or go to my website, janiceallenjackson.weebly.com, Dayton and I had an informative conversation about the history of the Canal Authority the canal trails and how that's an excellent recreational opportunity for us. Uh, today, uh, Fred and I are going to talk about life after being an administrator. Uh, we're gonna talk about public safety because that's his background. And uh, we're just gonna have a wide ranging conversations about various topics related to local government. So how are you doing today, Fred?
1: Pretty good. It's uh you know, I had to get up and get dressed this morning and shave and everything. It was sort of, sort of different there.
0: Very different in this day and age. You know, I, I... First, you know, I was thinking, oh, this is a temporary thing, whatever, whatever. And then I got into the mode of a T-shirt and shorts or jeans every day. <laughs> so you're right. <laughs> so when you got to actually, like, dress up and, in my case, put on lipstick, that just throws everything off these days.
1: Well, um, so so, tired, but, you know, didn't, you didn't quite wear the tie to a coat, so I'm sorry. But...
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's quite all right. So, hey, hey, so tell me, first off, people may not know, uh, Fred, about your background before you got to Augusta. Can you give us just a little um, uh, background information on your career and how, you know, you made the switch from law enforcement over into administration and some of the roles that you played when you were in law enforcement?
1: Sure. I've had a a pretty varied career and been pretty lucky. I started out in college as a deputy sheriff in Montgomery County, Virginia, uh, while I was finishing school at Virginia Tech. Went from there back home to Portsmouth, Virginia, as a deputy sheriff down there and a work release counselor. So I had a a background in social science. So uh, I was actually a a counselor for some of the inmates in the jail for a while. Uh, There about six years and ended up leaving there as chief deputy. Uh, so I was 26, 27 years old and running a 100-man sheriff's office. Uh, so that, that was somewhat unique at the time. Left there, I went to a university setting where I taught and was director of public safety at Fairham College up in Fairham, Virginia. And from there, I went to Radford University as the director of public safety there. Um, public safety universities is, is sort of a, a mixed bag in law enforcement. It's very service-oriented. It's very people oriented. And I think those skills there have helped me out uh, in various assorted of sundry following jobs. Police chief in a small town of Bedford, Virginia for a few years, uh, which was a municipality. So I've got that kind of background too. And then I ended up being the executive director of the State Crime Commission in Virginia. Sort of a, a strange leap, but one that um, served me well. Um, worked directly for the legislature uh, we work, wrote laws, I had a staff of attorneys that worked for me and we wrote laws relating to criminal justice, did studies, did investigations and uh, participated in the whole criminal justice process there from first interaction with police officers to probation and parole. Uh, so it was a, an experience in which I got to learn a lot about the whole system. After that, I was the deputy police chief in Richmond, Virginia for six years. Um, when I was there, Richmond was a murder capital of the world, a place similar to the size of Augusta, 200,000 people. You know, here in Augusta, we have 30 homicides a year. It's a very bad year. In Richmond, when I was there, we were doing 150, 160 homicides a year. Uh, so, you know, we, I got a fairly deep introduction to violent crime at that particular point in time. When we left, the numbers were down, so that was good. Uh, but it was, it was one of those jobs that you were on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And then I came to Augusta and found out there are other jobs where you're on call and on demand 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, came as a deputy administrator looking at the public safety area. Uh, and then within a year or so, I was acting administrator. And then within a year, or so, I think I was acting for almost a full year. And then I was the administrator for now, 10 to 11 years basically. So, um, you know, that, that was quite the experience. It really broadened my pro- portfolio. But some of those early lessons on dealing with people and working for the legislature, uh, dealing with elected officials, I think served me well. It's, it's a unique experience, and I'm pretty lucky to have all those jobs, and really lucky, I think, to be in Augusta.
0: Yeah, well, obviously, Fred, I think we're all lucky to be in Augusta since this is my hometown, but, yeah. but glad to have you here. Now, you mentioned another thing about being in Richmond, Virginia. I actually worked in Richmond. You know, I graduated from college in Williamsburg at William & Mary, and then I worked for a couple of years for an organization called the Central Richmond Association in downtown Richmond. I lived uh, at uh, right across the street from Monroe Park. Uh, the yeah. big park and the mosque there, Monroe Park yeah. Towers, is the name of the complex right. that I lived in. And at that time, I think Richmond had gotten to about 100 murders a year, which uh, was scary. 100, seems scary. But what you're saying is uh, the city even got up to 150, 160 uh, yeah. later on, is, you know, and most of those seems like what I recall. Of course, I wasn't working in local government at the time, but from what I recall from the newspaper articles and TV stories and so forth, was that most of those were either drug-related or domestic type of uh, incidents. Actually, had that we had very... by the time you come, came along?
1: No, not really. We had very few what people would call a homicide and, and actually had very few domestics there when I was there. It was mostly drug-related, and, and that's location determines that a lot. We were halfway between Miami and New York on Interstate 95. Uh, guns were easy to find in Virginia at that time and way too easy to find and easy to buy. So everybody there were a lot of armed people. Uh, so when tempers were short, shots were fired fairly quickly. Uh, a lot of money and drugs at those times. So that was part of the issue there. So it was, um, it was pretty rough.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just really scary. Really scary. And as from your work with the Governor's Crime Commission, I know dating back to a conversation we had a couple of months ago, uh, you were looking at ways to prevent crime. Uh, Tell us, you know, after all these years of being in local government and law enforcement, uh, what is it that you think are some of the key determinants in being able to reduce uh, violent crime?
1: what concerns me about what's going on today specifically is the concentration on trying to, reinform, to reformat law enforcement, uh, and I'm afraid that people are going to work hard on that and think that, okay, we've made law enforcement better, we've solved the problem. Uh, law enforcement needs to be better. I mean, anytime you're dealing with people, you know, it's sort of the point of the sphere. I mean, that's where the interaction occurs. Uh, initially in most cases. But the real issues are a whole lot deeper than anything you're gonna find in law enforcement. It's schools, it's parenting, it's health, it's education. It's human nature that creates most of the issues we have to deal with. The tragic shootings that you see with the police officers today. You know, it's hard to explain how that happens. But it does because we're dealing with people on both sides of the issue. We're dealing with communication problems. We're dealing with perception problems. We're dealing with people being scared. Uh, and that's a bad combination. The problems that we looked at in that study are things that, such as prenatal care. I mean, we, were, we hit the bottom, we, we looked very hard and deep on the kinds of things that cause issues prenatal care was one. I mean, the fact that the medical care in in the minority communities, uh, the health in the minority communities, the lack of jobs and those kinds of things. And I came to the conclusion after looking at a lot of that stuff that human beings don't do different very well. There's an assimilation issue that's occurred throughout the history of our country, because we did some research back on on how that works. And whether it's the color of your skin or the language that you speak or uh, the religion that you have or anything that makes you different from the majority group, it makes it tougher, just, I don't wanna say, will survive um, and and do well. And I think that's been, I think for a while, we colored over that maybe. But I think today we've got to the point now where it's, it's come to the surface again. And we can either deal with it in a, in a holistic way or we can put another patch on it and say, okay, we're going to fix law enforcement. But if you fix law enforcement, you're not fixing the court system, you're not fixing the bail system, you're not fixing the education system or the health system and all those other things that end up at the end of the day being what the law enforcement guy on the street deals with. And that's the sad part, I think, is that we don't want to go deep enough into it and actually start solving some of those problems.
0: Yeah, and I think when you say going deep enough, that really is, not going deep enough really is the problem. Uh, When you made reference to prenatal care uh, that reminds me of a program that I was involved with when I was in Charlotte. Um, I was overseeing the community health and safety services. And of course, health. our health department, public health, was one of those things. Um, mental health, social services, all those things were, were things that, that fell under my umbrella there. And of course, we also networked extensively with nonprofit organizations. And there was one on which I served on the board of. Um, called caring in in uptown Charlotte, and they had a nurse-family partnership where they would work with the family as soon as the young lady knew that she was pregnant. They would work with her uh, to make sure that she did get the right vitamins, saw a doctor on a regular basis, um, and that sort of thing. And then when the baby was born, they worked with that family for the first three years or so um to help learn parenting skills and nutrition and you know all those things that come along with raising a healthy human being and somehow there's just not enough funding for that stuff it looks like elected officials would prefer to say oh we're tough on crime and they'll fund guns and equipment and SWAT teams but Meanwhile, you got kids that never get a good start to begin with because they're lacking the things that you're talking about here. So I well, wonder if will ever get to the point where the bell goes off with folks and say, hey, we got to start funding these uh, early childhood activities again.
1: You know, I, I'd like to think we will, but I'm really scared that we won't. And it, it's it boils down to what does people care about? You know, prenatal vitamins, pretty simple. Prenatal vitamins have been shown to improve the welfare of a child when they first start out. And that actually impacts on their cognitive abilities, it impacts on their, you don't start out in a hole. And that's what happens to a lot of kids. Uh, That hole becomes behavioral issues or parenting issues because the parent's got to work a job and a half or two jobs to put food on the table and not have time to, to do what needs to be done for the child. Uh, and that tends to grow. And then 10 years later or 12 years later, you've got a young adult who really hasn't had the benefit of some of those skills that, that your mother and my mother taught me over the years. And so you've got a problem there and it continues to grow and grow. The correctional system, I mean, we lock up way too many people, in my estimation, and that comes after 30 years in law enforcement. You know, if we're afraid of somebody, we need to lock them up. If we're mad at somebody, there needs to be something else that we can do to, to teach them, to get them to behave in a manner that's more appropriate. You know, to have somebody go to jail for a bad check, I mean, what good does that do anybody? It costs you as a citizen and a taxpayer about $40,000 a year. if They stay there for a year. But what is that good for that person? Nothing. Uh, Some of the, you know, the drug stuff is coming and going, depending on where you stand on drugs at the moment and where the society stands on drugs. But look at all those people we arrested and held in jail at a cost of millions and millions and probably billions of dollars for possessing marijuana. It's currently legal in a lot of our states now. I mean, you've got to be smart about those kinds of things. Uh, The law is not really good at legislating either morality or even behavior. I mean, so you've got to be wise at a point. If somebody hurts somebody, or where the society is afraid of somebody, prison's the place they ought to be. But if society's mad at somebody because they didn't do something, that they decide it was wrong, you know, that's that's a waste of time, effort and people, which are our most important resources we have is the people that we have here. It's just hard to get people to, to understand that. Um, it's hard to get people to come to the conclusion that we can make the place better by trying and starting potentially a little bit earlier or refocusing what we did. Like you said, it's. You know, police, police department comes to me and I want a helicopter and four tanks to protect the society. You know, I'm not too sure what police department ever needed a four tanks, you know, even, even given what's going on today. I mean, you know, yeah. it's, it's an overreaction to, to a situation that, that, who was it that said, why don't we sit down and talk? I mean, that, that's, that would solve a lot of stuff that doesn't get solved. It ends up on the street with people hurt, in jail, and uh, lives ruined on both sides of the, of the spectrum.
0: Let's talk a little bit, a similar topic, but going to Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, we watched that one play out because somebody had a video camera that day. Is there any reason that somebody gets shot seven times like that? Did that make, from the perspective of somebody who's been a street cop, did that make any sense at all to you?
1: Understand what happened. You've got somebody that didn't comply with what the officer said. Right. You've got several officers there that are probably scared to death. That's sort of the way it starts out. You know, when I started, they gave you a gun that shot six bullets, and then you had to reload it. Now everybody's got one that shoots 15 or 16 or more than that sometimes. And when you get scared, you're gonna pull the trigger and you're gonna pull it until it stops shooting. (laughs) That's just the way it works, that's human nature. Um, You know, for the life of me, I don't understand why those kinds of things happen. From a professional standpoint, I know that they happen because it's a bad situation that gets worse and worse because people either don't de-escalate, they get scared, uh, they over respond, and in some cases because the cops aren't good people. I mean, police officers are human and they're better ones than others. And you know, but if you look at the general participation there, there are millions and millions and millions of police interactions every year with society and with people. Over the past, you know, what is it, six months now, we've looked at five or six that have gone horribly wrong. And there are others that have probably gone horribly wrong that we don't see, and ones in the past we never saw because we didn't have the equipment and the cameras and stuff that we've got now. But you can't put everybody in the same boat because of that. Uh, But you can try to make those people on the street better. Some countries it takes two years of training to be a police officer on the street. Uh if you look at them, their rates of killing people are fairly low. But then you've got to look at a bigger picture there. What's your general crime rate? What's what's the availability of firearms? You know, in England they police officers kill very few people. But there are very few guns on the street in England. Here, you know. I've been to places after a situation has occurred. I went into a small bar one night in Richmond where there was a shooting that occurred. Several people got killed. And you couldn't hardly walk through the bar without stepping on a shell, casing, or a gun. There were that many guns in that room at the time when it started. The United States has always been violent. That doesn't mean we always need to be violent though. It's not an excuse. Is a reason to work harder to make things better.
0: Right, right. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about what you've been doing since you left that uh, the Marble Palace, as they call it. I know you have the <laughs> Fred Russell Group, which is your consulting group. I know you've done some interim directorship sort of work. Want to talk to us a little bit about how you've transitioned into the next phase of life?
1: Let me share with you. You probably found out it took me six months to a year to to actually get a grasp on what I had been doing for the last 30 years. I didn't realize how much stress I was under until there wasn't any stress at all. (laughs) And you sit there and it it takes a while to pick up on that. It took me a while, like from carrying two phones and getting woke up three times a night. So the phone never ringing was, was unusual and hard to deal with. During my career here, I've worked with a, a group out of Atlanta doing a lot of cycling events, and that's sort of been my love over the years. So I spend most of the time going across the country, being the police interface with fairly large cycling events. Um, so like the Tour of France is going on as we speak, mm-hmm. I would be the guy in a command post between the, the organization of the race and the police and the fire and the rescue people and stuff. Being the interface there to, to make sure things went smoothly. I did that every place from California to uh, back in South Carolina here even and, and through there. So I got to travel a little bit and do that. Caught up on all those books I wanted to read that I never did. You probably got a sack of those somewhere. Yeah. And, um, done some teaching and done some, uh, like you said, I was a interim director of the sports council here for a while. That was one of those things, can you, can you fill in for a month or so that ended up lasting almost a year. So, but that's sort of played into my desire to help Augusta and help it grow. And as we both know, economic development through tourism is probably the cheapest cleanest and one of the easier ways to do that. So, uh, you know, we were, I was happy to be able to be part of that and work with the Commission and Visitor Bureau for a while on, on making things like that happen.
0: That's great, great. Uh, you know, I'm you mentioned... I got
1: to let go that I was going to go fishing. And I haven't been fishing
0: yet. I don't you haven't know, been fishing, fishing yet. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the things um, I think for both of us, it, public service is still in your blood and you still want to see communities do well uh, regardless of, of what happened. I mean, I, I never dreamed I would be sitting here during a, doing a radio show and podcast, but... Um, to benefit the Augusta community, but it's a natural fit for me. Um, the consulting work that I do, I use my local government knowledge, contacts, organizational skills, and that sort of thing as well. So um, it's, it, it, it's a great ride while it lasts. In some respects, it's a great wild ride while it lasts. I don't think people understand the degree of stress that there is associated with it. Um, The carrying the two telephones and folks calling you from sunup to sundown and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I don't think they really understand sometimes what how much it requires to do the work. But um, you do it because you're just really dedicated to making communities better. So um, At
1: what point in your career did you recognize the fact that when you went to the grocery store, you had to buy the frozen food last? 'Cause there was always somebody gonna stop you and wanna talk for ten minutes. I mean There's that was always really, somebody... the you know, like, okay, yeah. let's get the let's get the ice cream glass so it doesn't right.
0: exactly. And you know, that reminds me, I, I used to always say from the time I was in Albany, um, I would say that if I made a decision on Friday I would know by Sunday if it was a good one because somebody would have stopped me in the grocery store or at church to tell me what they thought of the decisions that were just announced. So that's one of the things I actually liked about local government is the instant feedback that you get. I mean, somebody's always telling you what they think.
1: I, I still get stopped. Right. People complain about their taxes too me.
0: Yeah, and I still get stopped too.
1: <laughs> I still hear it. You really
0: paid too much. Well, I'm sorry. I, you know, I, yeah. You know. yeah. That's it. Or the garbage didn't get picked up or whatever it is. <laughs> All right, Fred. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, as we prepare to close out, you got anything you want, nuggets of wisdom you want to share with my audience?
1: I think one of the most frustrating things for me here was that, the fact that so many people here didn't recognize how lucky they were. Augusta is a great place. Um, and there are people that come here every day from other places that are, at, that are just automatically attracted to the place and fall in love with it. And Some of us, I think, need to look a little deeper into that and recognize that being better is everybody's job. It's not the administrator's job, it's not the commission's job, it's everybody that lives here and spend an extra five minutes a day doing something good for somebody or good for the city And it would be a a big difference in our world that we live in, not only in Augusta, but everywhere.
0: I certainly hope that you all enjoyed Fred Russell, and as well, I hope you are enjoying the diversity of guests that I brought onto the show. Uh, last week, of course, we had uh, someone who works full time outside of government but uh, has practiced social activism in a way to make a difference in his community. Uh, this time around, we've got a career, a state and local government professional who uh, has taken the time to reflect upon the various things that have happened over the course of his career. Uh, And how those uh, changes have contributed to his changing attitudes about uh, what is best and good in our community. Uh, For next week, I'll be covering the upcoming election. Um, September 23rd show will be similar to the show that I did a few months ago in preparation for the June 9th election, uh, where we'll go over the ballot. Uh, Talk about registering to vote online uh, and the various uh, things related to getting prepared on November. If you are a registered voter in Richmond County, and if you get a utility bill from Augusta Utilities, you received two very important pieces of mail last week. Uh, one of those is uh, an absentee ballot application. It comes in a plain white envelope with two windows. The first window, return address, Board of Elections, 535 Telfair Street, Suite 500. That is your absentee ballot application. Application, which is to say that if you plan to vote by absentee ballot this time around, you need to open that envelope right away, complete the application, and send it back in. Uh, we don't want any excuses. Uh, so do this as quickly as possible to make sure that you get that ballot and can uh, return it in a timely fashion. The other thing that you received is a orange flyer that came in the Augusta Utilities Bill. It talks about the registration deadline, which is October 5th, Uh, It describes the process to vote absentee by mail, and it also describes the process for advanced voting this time around. Advanced voting begins on Monday, October 12th. The downtown location will not be the municipal building. As you downtown location will be the Bell Auditorium. That facility is being made available uh, because of the ability to practice enhanced social distancing in that large space. So if you do plan to vote uh, in advance and you want to do that downtown, you're going to have to go to the Bell Auditorium starting October 12th. Uh, if you have any suggestions for guests on the show, uh, please don't hesitate to go to my website JaniceAllenJackson.weebly.com, my contact us page, or if we're connected on Facebook, please reach out to me there uh, via uh, Facebook Messenger in order to make suggestions of uh, guests who would be suitable for the show. We want to make sure that our guests are folks that can provide information that you need and content that you want to hear. As I get prepared to close out, uh, as always, I will recite my very favorite Bible verse. It is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision making to ensure that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Tune in here on wkzk.net, 1600 a.m., or 103.7 FM next Wednesday afternoon at 1.30 p.m. Because Local Matters.